Well, hey, good morning, Zion. How's everybody doing this morning? Go Chiefs. Woo! There's like three of you. All right. <laughs> hey, at least it's not the Packers. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking because it could have been the Vikings. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity hater. It's all good. Uh, my... <laughs> Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're so glad you're here. To our online people watching, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I recognize that particularly in these times with COVID and everything else, sometimes online is really the only way that people can belong to part of the community. And so we're so glad you're here. We also want you to know that we're aware that we've been having Facebook issues. Anybody here seen those? Uh, we are working on them. And so I just want you to know we're not neglecting them. We are working on them. That's assuming you can hear, even hear what I'm talking about. So um, all that being said, it is so great to have everyone here. We're continuing towards the end, the pinnacle of our series, Passport to Galatia. And we're getting to the mountaintop where Paul is now talking about life in the Spirit, this role of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, I'll tell you, this can be confusing at times for many of us because, again, everybody here, whether or not you've ever met your father or had a good father, we all can picture a father. Now, I want you to know that the picture we have of father is incomplete. It actually doesn't match who God the Father is, but we can picture it. We can picture Jesus the Son. But the Holy Spirit is a whole different thing. Like, what does that mean? Some people call him the Holy Ghost, like he's some floating entity just kind of moving around and it. When in reality, what we find is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. They are not three distinct, three different gods who come together to make the Godhead. They are three distinct persons in one substance that is God. And it's a mystery. We can't fathom it. And because we can so often lean into talking about the Father, we can picture the Son, sometimes we neglect the Holy Spirit, and yet the reality is, is that it is the Spirit who empowers the life of the believer to live out how God has called us to live. And for many of us, we neglect the Holy Spirit, one, because He's not taught on a lot, but also because maybe we've had bad experiences with those in the church who may not always model the Holy Spirit well. Let me share some of my own stories in this. So I got saved at a Baptist church going into high school in 1989. And uh, we were Baptists. That's a real word, by the way. I didn't make it up. We were charismatic Baptists. For you unchurched people or people not familiar, charismatics are those who believe that the Spirit still moves in the lives of people today and the gifts are available and accessible. You'll often go to charismatic churches. You'll see their hands raised. Um, some do what's called speaking in tongues, which we'll get to in a little bit here. And our Baptist church in 1989, I, that's when I became a Christian again, that year we transitioned from traditional worship style to contemporary. Now this was 1990. We were years ahead. We had electric guitar, we had drums, we had piano, and an organ, and a bass player, and timpanis. For music people out there, those don't go hand in hand. You don't have electric, unless you're, the, what is it, electric dream orchestra or whatever they are. And I often would play the timpanis, but what it meant to be charismatic Baptist, charismatic Baptist is we would raise our hands when the song said to, and occasionally we would close our eyes and we'd sing contemporary worship. But there was a desire to really pour in or move in the realm of the Spirit. We wanted to connect with that. It was just kind of foreign. Now, what happens is that in that, even though we talked about it, we really, I didn't really understand it. And sometimes what got in the way of that was people. My encounters with people who love Jesus, 
but sometimes wrongly emphasize the Spirit in an unhealthy way, and that is possible, sometimes got in the way. So let me share a couple stories. So uh, I dated this girl named Kara, phenomenal voice, absolutely beautiful singing voice. And a friend of mine who is a Pentecostal brother in the Lord invited me to come and do worship to sing, lead worship for a youth gathering that had several hundred students from all over. And I asked Kara to come and sing with me. And so we go to this thing and there's like 60 leaders in this room. And we're getting ready to pray. And all of a sudden they all start speaking in tongues at the same time. And I feel her hand squeeze mine like she's giving birth. And I look over and she's doing this, what is going on? Like just freaked out. And I'm like, it's okay, because she didn't know what to do with it. And for those of you who don't know, the gift of tongues, it is biblical. We see it in Scripture. The first place we see it is in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, you have the disciples, the apostles, who Jesus has just ascended to be with the Lord. He's told them that the Holy Spirit is going to come to them. And they're out preaching the gospel in the middle of the temple during Pentecost. It's a Jewish festival. There's people from all over the region speaking different languages, different dialects. And here we have the disciples, commoners, fishermen, not educated men, who are proclaiming the gospel, and yet everybody is understanding it in their own language. And it says they had tongues of fire on them. That's the first instance we see of it. And in some cases, and I know of individuals, and I know stories as well, where let's say, give me an example, let's say I go to Peru, okay, I don't speak Peruvian. And if I go there, but if the Holy Spirit in that moment, what'd you say? Spanish. 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 <laughs> you, I'm going to invite Matt to preach. It's all, Matt, you can come on. If you're new with us, this is normal. This is, <laughs> we're that kind of church. We're family here. It's all, thank you, Matt. And Matt wouldn't even need the stage. He'd just stand right here. And he's still taller than me. So I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. The Spanish I do speak, I'm not allowed to say. So <laughs> I lived in San Diego, okay? So I don't speak Peruvian Spanish. <laughs> but let's say I start proclaiming the gospel speaking, and they understand every word coming out of my mouth. That's the first instance of tongues, and it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we later see in Corinthians that Paul talks about the gift of tongues as basically there are those who speak a language, and it's meant for the unbeliever, that an unbeliever comes in, and I speak, and there has to be an interpreter. Now, we're not going to get into a whole sermon on this. I just want to give you some ideas, okay? And then the third one is what I call a prayer language, which is really what I think most people mean by speaking in tongues. In Romans chapter 8, it says that sometimes we have... There's such a heartache, such a soul ache, that literally there aren't words to express it, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and in those moments, a language that comes out that is almost heavenly, it's, it's utterances that aren't intelligible, but it's communicating with the Lord in a way that's different, okay? So I've encountered these things. I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in the realm of the Spirit, but sometimes you have well-intentioned believers who overemphasize the Spirit over Jesus, as if you don't walk in a certain way, you're like a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God if you don't speak in tongues, if you don't elevate certain things in the Holy Spirit. And reality is what we see in Scripture is the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus, not back to himself. Um, so uh, I, I told many of you I was a jerk for Jesus in high school, and I, don't, I mean that tongue-in-cheek, but also it was very true. I didn't understand what love was. I didn't understand how to show love. And so 
I would often challenge people, and I turn more people off to Jesus than on. And after high school, a couple years after the Lord had kind of done some working and maturing in me and challenging me, I remember uh, I was sitting, I think it was Taco Bell. It's been many years since then. And I was in Taco Bell, and I see this guy who I went to school with, and he makes a beeline for me. He goes, Jason, I can't believe it's you. And he begins to share, and he goes, I became a Christian a couple years ago, and I want you to know that the Lord used you to help get me there. I just want to thank you for, for sharing Jesus with me. But I became a believer. That's awesome. I'd love for you to check out my church. And I was like, that's wonderful. He goes to this Pentecostal church, and, and so I go, and I mean, there's banners, and people are speaking in tongues. I mean, it's clear they love Jesus. Afterwards, he says, hey, can we do breakfast? I'm like, I love that. So we go to breakfast, and we're sitting down, and he looks at me, and he goes, so when did you first speak in tongues? I said, well, I don't speak in tongues. He goes, brother, you need Jesus. I went, what? He goes, well, obviously you're not saved because in order to be saved, you have to speak in tongues. Now, did his church believe that? I doubt it, but that's what he believed. And in that, there was this hint of shame that he used the Spirit as a weapon instead of an empower, an encourager, which the Holy Spirit is meant to be an encourager and a convictor, but in that conviction, the Holy Spirit also brings comfort. We're going to get that in a minute too. See, I want you to hear this, that if you've ever encountered a Jesus-loving person who maybe, maybe has weaponized the Holy Spirit or any other form of Christianity, if I've ever done that to you, please accept my apology. Because that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what Jesus is about. But us as humans, the Holy Spirit isn't divisive. We are. The Holy Spirit brings unity, brings peace. We're the ones who do the opposite. We're the ones who sometimes elevate and escalate things that God never intended to, creating a caste system, a second-class citizenship within the church. And that's not how Jesus operates and not how the Holy Spirit is. To, to give you more clarification on this, I've never desired to speak in tongues. I've never really cared about it. About two years ago, I was actually dealing with some pretty hard stuff. And I was driving back from uh, Ames. I had met a friend out in Ames. And as I'm driving back, I'm listening to a teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. And how many of you have ever been driving and you hit autopilot? You know what I'm talking about? I don't mean cruise control, but I mean, you're just not, you've checked out. You're driving, but you're there, but not there. So I'm, I'm driving and I was so engaged with just kind of my own stuff. I was, I was really, I was struggling with the Lord and listening to this teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden I became conscious of myself driving and I realized that I was speaking in tongues. I, I didn't choose it, I didn't force it, I didn't manipulate it. It was almost as if the Holy Spirit in that moment took this deep part of me and allowed me to connect, to pour out what was going on in my heart because I didn't have the words to express the heartache, the fear, the hurt, the anger, all the stuff I was dealing with. That was a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's only happened one other time since then. Because I don't chase after the gift, I chase after the gift giver. And God gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift. And, and let me give you some examples. I'm going to teach you a couple, a Hebrew and a Greek word, okay? Now, I'm not a scholar in this, but I know these words, okay? In the Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. Now, everybody say ruach. Okay, if you're not spitting, you're not saying it right. It's glottial. It actually comes from deep in the throat. Let's try it again. Ruach. Okay, some of you are like, yeah. Others are like, I'm not even trying. <laughs> I'm not even trying. And the word spirit 
It means breath. It's power. It's the movement of God. Now, they didn't understand the Holy Spirit the way we do in Jesus because Jesus had to teach us and bring us the Holy Spirit. But that Spirit of God, we see it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word is pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. Pneuma is where we get the word pneumonia. When your breath is affected, your lungs are affected. And the idea is, is that the Holy Spirit is the breath, the power, the life that moves inside of the Christian and empowers us to live out this thing called Christianity, to be a follower of Jesus, to even believe in Jesus. Now, what has happened is we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, but we forget the Spirit. And part of it is we don't always understand the Trinity. So I've got an illustration here for you. I got Neapolitan ice cream here. Now, I want to tell you, every illustration on the Trinity falls short, and here's why. Because God is bigger than our minds can fathom. And anybody who says that they've got a complete, perfect illustration of the Trinity, everyone falls apart because God is mysterious and big, just like the Trinity is. But I'm going to try and use Neapolitan ice cream to kind of help us get there. Neapolitan ice cream is made up of three flavors, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, right? But what makes it Neapolitan is if I separate one from the other, it's no longer Neapolitan, is it? It's chocolate. If I separate it from vanilla, it's just vanilla. If it's strawberry, it's just strawberry. But when you put them together, they become Neapolitan ice cream. And some of us, we really like the taste of God the Father. Let's just call it the Father chocolate, okay? For the purpose of illustration. Some of us are all about chocolate. And we're all about Jesus vanilla, but strawberry kind of gets left out, which is why I think they in the purposely put it in the middle because they kind of force you to go for strawberry. <laughs> and, and here's what happens. As Christians, we're all about taking a little bit. We love Jesus. I mean, Jesus is awesome. We're all about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We pray to Jesus. We get the Father. But so many Christians neglect the Spirit. And here's the thing. Jesus calls us Faith calls us to not just believe in Jesus, not just the Father, but the Spirit as well. And if we want a healthy faith, we need all three. We need all of God, not just the pieces of God that make us comfortable. Anybody want some ice cream? Who wants some ice cream? First come, first serve. Literally. Other than my daughter. <laughs> come here. Come here. Come here. I'm being serious. Here. Anybody else? I, well, never mind. I don't have, I'll give someone the carton. I'm bringing this home, so you're getting it later. There you go. Here you go, sweetheart. During first service, someone got it, and she's like, yeah! I mean, she was so pumped about getting the ice cream. Here's the thing, is that we, if we want the fullness of God, we need the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't just pick and choose. We need all of it. And that also means we now need to teach on it. And this is what Paul does. Paul, in the first four chapters, talks all about this division and the things that are going on. And you want to know why there's division? Why there's legalism? Because they weren't living in the Spirit. They were not operating according to the Spirit. They were operating according to the flesh. And as believers, we have the Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift. In the Greek, uh, uh, Jesus, at one point in John, he says this, I'm going to give you the Spirit. I have to leave. And I'm going to give you the Spirit. And he gives them a name, the advocate, the helper. In Greek, it's paraclete. The paraclete is the one who comes alongside of us, who helps us, but the Holy Spirit never points to himself. He always points to Jesus, and he does it delightfully. It's part of his calling, his job. It's, it's the role that he plays as part of the Trinity. Now, can we fully fathom this? No. He is a person. Now, let me help you understand what I mean by person. If I lose my arm, am I less of a person? No. 
we often think personhood has to do with physical. No, what makes someone a person is not this, it's personality, it's their ability to make willful decisions, to have uh, uh, um, a distinct personality. The Spirit is not an expression of Jesus. The Spirit is distinct from Jesus, a distinct person of the Trinity, personhood. These three distinct persons make up the Trinity, which is God. Can we fathom this? The answer is no, but it's there. What we do know is that we are called to live in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, that the Spirit is supposed to be part of our life that moves beyond just simply words, but actually helps us live in the power of what the gospel is calling us to be, for you to be. Now, why do we talk about this and why is this so important? Well, first, is that the Holy Spirit, it actually tells us that you can't even confess Jesus as Lord except by the power of the Spirit. Uh, July 1989, when I became a believer, and some of you have heard this story before, I remember my youth pastor saying, if you want to know my Savior, raise your hand, and my hand went up, and I was like, bring it down, my hand went up, bring it down, and, and here's the question, did my hand go up because I wanted it, or because the Spirit was already working in me, that I knew I needed a Savior? Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, it's only through the power of the Spirit that you can even declare Jesus as Lord. Some people can say, yeah, Jesus is a Savior, He's a Lord, but to declare Him the Lord of your life, to have faith in Jesus comes through the Spirit. It's the Spirit working in you. The Spirit enables us, the Spirit empowers us, the Spirit moves through us. It's the same Spirit that worked through humans to bring us the Word of God. This is just a book. The words on the page, the ink on the page, the paper, that's not sacred. What makes it holy is the Spirit who worked alongside of the humans, the imperfect humans, to bring us the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. It calls it the God-breathed, the Spirit-breathed, the pneuma-breathed Word of God. What brings this Word to life is the Spirit in us. Now here's the question, are you accessing, are you living in that Spirit? And that's why as we come to these last parts of Paul's words, everything comes down to this, is it's not about your behavior, because people who don't have Jesus can be good people, right? How many of you know people who aren't Christians who are good people? We all do. In fact, some of them are better people than Christians. For Christians, that spirit-empowered, that ability to live as Jesus has called us to live is not about morality, it's about spirit empowerment. It's the spirit helping us become like Jesus. Um, this last year, and we're going to be talking about this at the annual meeting, which I hope for you members that you will be here today for that. Last year, and I talked about this last week, last year we, we introduced our new vision, vision statement to be a Tov church. Everybody say Tov. Tov means good in Hebrew. We don't want to just do good. We want to bring God's goodness into the world. And we have three missions that now become three words for us, belong, believe, become. Those things happen not through flesh, but through the Spirit. It's through us as a community, us as a church, surrendering and saying, we want to live in the power and the strength and the will of the Holy Spirit. We want to be who God wants us to be through the power of the Spirit, not through the power of Zion. Did you catch that? Has nothing to do with the power of Zion. The power of Zion is, is inept, weak, it's impotent. The power of Jesus is what saves people. You don't need more of Zion, you need more of Jesus, and you need the Holy Spirit in your life, amen? 
And so that's what we're pushing towards. That's what Paul is going to be leading us into. And he's going to challenge how you live because the evidence of a spirit-empowered life is life. It's how you live your life. Are you living it according to the flesh, toward yourself, or in the power of the Spirit pointing us to Jesus? This is where we want to go. This is what we're aiming for. And this is what Paul ultimately is bringing us to. The Spirit doesn't have the same attributes of God. He has all the attributes of God because He is God. It's not an it. It's not an impersonal force. Jesus called the Holy Spirit a He, meaning you can have a relationship with the Spirit. If you're anything like me, it took me over a decade to realize that I had been neglecting the relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who resided in me, who I had full access to, but I just wasn't stepping into it. I wasn't coming to the river. I wasn't coming to the source. I was always trying to do it in myself, my flesh. Didn't mean I didn't love Jesus. I just didn't have the full power accessible to me. Paul is going to bring us in Galatians to talk through this and to bring us here. Now, as we look at this, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5. I want to bring one last point up. One of the roles of the Spirit, the Spirit has many roles. The first one is it says the Spirit will convict us of our sin, including non-Christians. The Holy Spirit convicts people. It reveals when we have sinned, and that includes the non-believer. But for the Christian, when you have the Spirit in your life, how many of you have ever done something and immediately you had that sense of regret, that conviction? Not necessarily shame, though if it's a shameful act, I think sometimes shameful acts deserve shame. But how many of you have ever had that where you do something and immediately you're like, oh my gosh, it's like you're out of your mind. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. But the same Spirit that convicts you will then comfort you, instantaneously comfort you in your salvation in Jesus. This is how one of the ways I know that I'm not operating in the Spirit is when I'm living in conviction and guilt and shame and not in comfort, it means I'm neglecting the Spirit in my life. Because the Spirit is a comforter, not just a convictor. Does that make sense? If Satan is the accuser, the Holy Spirit is the advocate, the helper. We need, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. I would dare say that there are some of you in this room right now who are not living up to the fullest that God has for you because you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Father, you've heard about the Spirit, but you've not developed a relationship with the third part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So Paul is going to push into us. It's that same Spirit that equips and empowers and unleashes us to love and serve Jesus, His church, and the world around us. It's the same Spirit that unites us. There are, um, we're getting to Galatians, I promise. Uh, the role, one of the things that the Spirit does, and I think some people need to hear this this morning, is that when, no matter what you do, you are sealed in Christ. Part of the thing, when you receive Jesus, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. This is Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 4. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's the thing. Satan can mess with you. He can lie to you. He can deceive you, but he cannot have you. That's what it means to be sealed. It means that you have been marked by God. You belong to the King. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then Paul takes it a step further in 1 Corinthians and then in Ephesians chapter 1 He's not just a seal, he's also a pledge. You guys remember how many of you bought your house and you had to put down earnest money? Or you buy a car and you have to put a down payment. See, as humans, we realize that human nature is to break contracts. 
that we don't honor our words. So one of the ways they protect themselves is by saying, hey, okay, I get it. You want this house. You need to put $10,000 down in earnest money. So that way, if you back out, I get to keep the money. God tells us that he gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as earnest money of our salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now it is God who strengthens us together. Notice that word together. Together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. It's not just about having the spirit in your mind. You need the spirit in your heart. And that's not talking about emotions. The heart is the seat of everything you do. Every decision you make is connected to your heart. We need the Holy Spirit residing in our heart because then everything, we be everything belongs to the Spirit. What I think, what I hear, what I see, what I say, what I don't say, what I do, where I walk. When the Spirit is in my heart, living, residing, reigning, ruling in my heart, I am directed by the Spirit. I'm living in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that down payment. But here's the thing. God doesn't break his promises, so why did he give us the Holy Spirit as a down payment? I believe it was an ultimate act of love of God saying, listen, I know, I know you may doubt it. Doubt may come in, but I've given you as a Holy Spirit as a guarantee I will not break my promise to you. That's why doubt is not the opposite of faith. Apathy is. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's unbelief. Sometimes we're doubted, and that's when we have to come back and we're reminded not just of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit reminds us that in Christ, I am saved. I don't question my salvation. Never had to. Sometimes I question if I do Christian things. But I'm secure because the Holy Spirit lives in me and convicts me. And when I feel that conviction, it's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is still in me. Paul wants us to keep the Holy Spirit, yes, in our thoughts, yes, in our hearts, but we need to live and let that Spirit live and reign through us. All right, here we go. We are now going to get into Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. I want to stop right there. Notice he uses the word brothers and sisters. First four chapters is talking about division in the church. Paul is reminding us that even when we don't agree, even when there's issues, we're still family. One of our core missions is belong. We don't always have to get along, but we are still family. Everybody, anybody here got a perfect family that never fights or has issues? Because if you do, please tell me the secret. You belong to Christ. You don't have to believe to belong here, but to belong to the family of Jesus, you need to believe in Jesus. And it's not just believing in Jesus. We want to become like Jesus, and it's the Spirit who helps us become like Jesus. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but... Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now check this out, that word flesh is sarks, and it's the idea of this flesh, but more of what do I tend to do when I'm in control? To operate in the flesh is talking more about your decisions, not spirit-led decisions, but human-led decisions, decisions that are not directed by the Spirit. And here we are, we're saying, he's saying, listen, don't follow the flesh, follow the spirit, which means there's a battle, there's a war at odds with us. And this isn't a new problem. It's existed within Christianity since the disciples. I'm going to share with you the, uh, the, the NJV, that's the New Jason version of Mark chapter 10. So in Mark 10, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, right? And two of them come to say, hey, Jesus, come here, come here. Come here. Um, so we know that you're going to be king. And when you rule, when, you, when you're there, can you do us a favor? Can one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left? 
What are they seeking there? They're seeking power and authority and position. They want to rule over because they know Jesus is going to rule. And then it says this, when the other disciples heard this, they became infuriated, not because they couldn't believe the audacity of such a claim, but because they didn't ask first. And Jesus says, wait, 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 no, 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 you all got it wrong. See, the world comes and says it's all about power and position and authority. It's all about people coming to serve me. But I have not come to be served, but to serve. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Jesus flips everything upside down, and the Spirit points us to Jesus, which means when the Holy Spirit is working in us as a church, when He's working in you as an individual follower of Jesus, you look more like Jesus and less like you. This is what he's calling us to. And Paul is saying, listen, you have freedom as a believer. You have freedom to either walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. You actually get a choice. The non-Christian never gets a choice. They can only walk in the flesh. Because even when they do good stuff, they're doing it out of the flesh. That's why every good deed you do apart from Christ is wicked. It's not good. It's actually not, it, does, it isn't about God, it's about self. It's still good from a world's perspective. You have freedom to walk humbly in love. And then he says this, for the entire law, over 600 laws in the Old Testament, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for you Bible nerds out there, you're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, Jason. Um, Paul forgot something. See, when Jesus, Paul's quoting Jesus, who's ultimately quoting Deuteronomy, Paul goes, um, the, the law is summed up in one, love your neighbor as yourself, and you Bible people are like, wait, 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 don't. Jesus actually, when asked that question, said, the first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many you know that, that verse? And then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Why did Paul leave out the first one? Church, hear this. I need you to hear this. Paul is saying, if you do not love people, you cannot love God. Let me say that one more time. If you do not love people, you do not love God. You cannot love God. Sadly, way too many Christians think the goal of Christianity is having a lot of affection for Jesus and who cares about people? Who cares if I'm, lo if I'm loving? The whole gospel is summed up as love your neighbor as you love yourself because if you love God, you will love people. Don't believe me? Listen to what 1 John says. If I can find 1 John 4.20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Now that word hate doesn't mean just evil intent or thoughts. Hate is not just an emotion, it's an action. In other words, when you are apathetic towards people, that's hatred. When you act unloving to them, that's hatred. You cannot say you love God and yet hate a brother or sister. You're making, you are actually a liar. You're probably lying to yourself more than anybody else. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have never seen. This should be a challenge for us. Paul then says, listen, the entire law was filled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. They were missing the spirit. They weren't loving each other. And so Paul is bringing us into the reality that a spirit-filled life is a loving life. This does not mean that we love sin. It does not mean that we love how the world loves. We love according to the way Jesus described love. And how does Jesus describe love? Well, we look again at Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, we talked about this last week. I don't define love, God defines love. And again, here's the new Jason version, 1 Corinthians 13. 
Love is patient, meaning it's not rushed. It doesn't force things. Love is kind, not harsh. It celebrates others' successes instead of being envious and cutting down. It seeks to honor and elevate, not dishonor others. It seeks the good of others, not just oneself. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep score. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, trusts, hope, and perseveres. Here's the thing. The 600-some laws of the Old Testament are not nearly as hard to do as this one law of love of Christ. I can't do the law of Christ because human nature takes over. That's why I need the Spirit, why you need the Spirit, why we need the Holy Spirit. It's only through the Spirit that we can actually truly embody the love of Jesus because it's Jesus' love pouring through us. Amen? This is what it's called to, and it's way harder to live by. Division in the church comes from a wrong belief. Instead of putting our hope and trust in what Jesus and the Holy Spirit says and does, we end up relying on ourselves and the world's way of thinking. This happens in the church all the time. It happens in my life all the time. And that's when the Spirit convicts me. And the minute I, hear, I feel that conviction, I repent, and the Spirit comforts me and reminds me that I am secure in Jesus, not because of my perfection, but His. So if you're stumbling, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you can know this. I need you to hear this. If you're not living by the Spirit, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're not accessing the fullness that God has for you. You're missing out on a part of what God has. God is doing something in us. He wants to move in us, and He's pushing us into more, which is why He ends with this. I want to read these last couple verses. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Paul doesn't use the word live, he uses the word walk. He actually uses the metaphor for a reason, it's intentional. He uses the same one in Ephesians chapter 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So why did he use the word walk? Why doesn't he just say live this way? Well, in our world, we drive everywhere. Most people don't like to walk unless it's for exercise. But in their world, they didn't have cars. Most people didn't have horses or donkeys. If you wanted to go somewhere, you had to walk. And you took routes. There were habits that you did with you walk. You had the walk. You walked in a manner. You walked in the way. Here he uses this word walk as saying, listen, conduct yourself as one who is walking the path of the Spirit, not the flesh. How you live, how you walk matters to God because it's a reflection of how much you actually belong to Jesus, how much you believe in Jesus, and how much you're becoming like Jesus. And none of us do it perfectly, none of us ever will, but we can rely on the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. How is your walk going? Are you walking in your flesh or are you walking in the Holy Spirit? Take a minute, think about it. someone were to look at your life, do they see the Spirit pouring out of you or do they see, do they see the world? Let's actually ask a 10,000 foot question. How about our church? When people look at Zion Church, do they see a church that is trying to live in the power of the Spirit or that is simply trying to live in the power of brand? We are not the source of hope. Jesus is. We have a mission. We are an outpost for what God has. 
We exist to glorify Jesus, and we can only do that well when we, as a people, are living and exercising and walking in the power of the Spirit together. And when one of us stumbles, and you will, that's when you have a brother or sister who picks you up and says, hey, come back, come back. Right now, I want you to look around. Think about the people around you that, who aren't here right now. And I don't mean because they're on vacation. I don't mean because they're afraid of COVID or they're sick or they decided to stay home. I want you to think about the people who ha you haven't seen in church for months, who, are not, who have forgotten that they're part of a family. What if instead of judging them, you began to go, wait, wait, wait. Do I need to go to them and remind them that they're part of this and that the same spirit resides in me, resides in them, and God is calling us to be together? Because some usually, and I didn't say this first service, and I kind of feel like I wish I had. It just didn't come to me until right now because I didn't have it in my notes. But I wonder if the reason why some people end up walking away from church is because, first of all, the church, they may not be experiencing the power of the Spirit in their life, and so they don't see the value of church. But maybe it's also because we haven't been the church to them. Because sometimes we can get so busy, I can get busy forgetting that we need to be there for each other. And, and maybe the most loving thing we can do is to simply invite them back, not to church, but to family. Who, who's being laid on your heart right now? I bet you some of you right now have someone in mind that you're thinking about that you haven't seen in a while. Maybe this is the Lord saying, hey, give them a call. And this is a, not a shame tactic, but a loving tactic saying, hey, you belong. And because when we belong to the Spirit, maybe they're not walking in the Spirit right now because, quite frankly, they didn't know that they had the Spirit accessible to them. Or maybe there's some wounds or hurts and God is calling us to come along and love them back into the fold. What does this look like if we're really walking in the Spirit? Paul then says this, and this is big. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. In other words, you have this part of you that actually wants to do the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit says. I have it, you have it, it resides in all of us. It will not die completely until we're with Jesus face to face. Eventually, that desire will, will disappear, but until then, we have it. With each other. They're at war, at odds, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Notice it says you're not to do whatever you want because if you're living by the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who's directing you, not you. You have choices. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, I don't need the laws. I don't need the rules if I'm living by the Spirit because the Spirit will remind me to walk in love. And if I'm walking in love, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not breaking the laws. I only need laws when I'm being selfish. I'm only being, I only need laws when I'm not loving, but when I'm loving, I'm under the law of Jesus. I believe, wholeheartedly believe, that God, the thing that he's doing right now in Zion is I think he's making us more loving. That we are learning to see love is not as a feeling, but an action. And that he's calling us to go and bring the love of Christ to those around us, and sometimes at those who used to be a part of us but also into our city. It's all part of what we're called to. I want to invite the band up. And, and as we come and as we close this, I want, would you stand with me? Stand with me for a moment here, okay? And we're going to come and worship and we're going to take our tithes and offerings. But here's the thing I want you to hear. You know what God wants way before your money? He wants your life. The greatest offering you can give, the first offering is your heart because once your heart belongs to God, everything else does. Sometimes churches are so focused on pocketbooks, they forget that the person who gives is the person whose heart it's being worked by the Holy Spirit when you give for the right reasons. Listen to what Paul says here. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The weight of the law is not there. When the Holy Spirit defines your freedom, when you let the Spirit have free reign in your life, you no longer need God's law because you live by the law of Christ, the law of love. Loving God, loving others, even learning to love yourself the way God has called you to through the Spirit's power. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what does that Spirit-filled life look like. And so I want to do something. Some of you, maybe, maybe you, you have the Spirit. I want you to hear this. You have access to the Spirit, but you have not prayed. You have not gone to the Spirit as God, asked the Spirit as God to fill me, to consume me. So would you do this? If you want this, if you don't want it, don't do it. But if you want it, repeat after me. Holy Spirit, open my mind. Holy Spirit, give me ears to hear. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. Give me words to say. And tell me when to shut up. Because <laughs> sometimes it's not about what we say, it's what we don't say that matters. Holy Spirit, my hands are yours. My feet are yours. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name, amen. We're now going to receive our tithes and offerings, but would you please first consider surrendering your whole self to Jesus? You're not going to do it perfectly. Asking the Holy Spirit daily to fill you, to direct you, to lead you. Amen? Amen. Let's come and worship.